Today's episode of SMBFM is presented by Marketers Channel, a marketers company media outlet. This conversation features George Cook, the CEO and co-founder of Honeycomb Credit. These guys are changing the way businesses access capital through their intriguing and really unique business loan model. I think you guys will enjoy this conversation. George and I talk a little bit about the early days and getting Honeycomb Credit up and running, but the majority of our conversation gets deeper into some of the current trends and observations into the small and medium-sized businesses. Enjoy. Today, I'm joined by George Cook. George is CEO and the co-founder of Honeycomb Credit. And George, thank you again for uh, carving out some time to join the show. And Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here, Corey. Hey, so I want to bounce around a little um, early on. Just uh, I have some, you know, I have some questions I want to get into, but I want to build some of the context and then allow for some time to talk about the questions and, and dig into some of the topics. Um, for the audience, do you mind giving giving everyone you know your thirty second summary of what Honeycomb Credit is? Yeah, absolutely. So Honeycomb is a loan crowdfunding website that allows locally owned small businesses to borrow from their own customers and fans and community members. The look and feel is, is somewhat like a traditional crowdfunding site like Kickstarter or Indiegogo. Instead of Corey logging into the site and, and donating $100 and maybe getting a t-shirt, Corey can actually invest $100 or $1,000 in his favorite small business and earn a competitive return while helping out locally owned businesses. So I love the idea of this, and this is what drew me to, to wanting to have a conversation with you. Um, how long have you guys been in business, George? We've been working on this for about two years. Um, so we're headquartered in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and we've been uh, working with quite a few businesses here in southwestern Pennsylvania and are right now in the process of expanding into Philadelphia, Detroit, and Cleveland. So take me back just a little bit. Where did where did this come from? How did this how did Honeycomb Credit come about? Yeah, so, so it really starts uh, with my background a little bit, and, and uh, I'm actually a sixth-generation community banker. So my family's been in and around the community banking industry for 130 years. And uh, you know, I grew up in the family business, a small community bank in, in rural Pennsylvania, and uh, really became infatuated with this relationship banking model, the idea that uh, the banker obviously looks at your numbers, but they knew you as a person. They knew your business. They knew the quality of your product and your presence in the community. And that was really important to the underwriting decision. But we've seen this massive consolidation in the community banking industry. We actually lose one community bank every day in the U.S. right now. And that means that the, that, that qualitative information, that personal touch of the community banking industry is really falling away. And it means that some anonymous banker in New York or some algorithm in, in the Bay is, is making this underwriting decision without capturing any of that really important character data about the small business. And I saw that that was really putting a lot of pressure on small businesses and their ability to get access to fair capital. And so while back in grad school, I was, I was getting my MBA in New Hampshire at, at Dartmouth, and I met my co-founder who is a small business owner. And we put our heads together and said, how can we bring the community banking model back in a scalable, tech-enabled way for the 21st century? And that, that was really the genesis for Honeycomb. So as a sixth generation, you know, this, you're saying this goes back 130 years in your family. Did you ever actually get into uh, the family banking or, 
or was this idea kind of spawned before you, um, you know, cut your teeth in the family business? Yeah, I spent a lot of time uh, working at the family business uh, in high school and in college. Uh, most of my summers were there. My winter breaks. Uh, I spent a lot of time in and around uh, the family bank. Uh, and then ultimately, I was working in financial services consulting for a number of years. So I was at TransUnion in Chicago, uh, really consulting with uh, everyone from some of the largest banks in the country to uh, Silicon Valley startups to mom-and-pop credit unions in the Midwest. And so I really got a really, uh, just a, a nice overview of the financial services ecosystem. And because of my affinity to community banks and my background in community banks, I, I really started to see this trend playing out before me through the consulting work I was, I was doing at TransUnion. So uh, the podcast SMBFM, we have an audience that's weighted towards business owners and operators. So I'm always interested in finding out from the guests because you're a little different, right? Because it, it sounds like your path was almost laid out for you in a sense that not not like you had to follow the family business, I'm, I'm sure, but it was there for you to kind of, you know, uh, grow into. But have you always had this kind of entrepreneurial spirit about you? Have you always wanted to be involved in changing the way things are done or doing it your own way? No, not at all. I think there's a lot of folks that, that start a business because they're, they're itching to, to be in control. They want to, they want to be the boss. They want to control their own destiny. Uh, you know, I, I enjoyed working in corporate America. I, I, you know, I, I joke about, you know, I, I was a pretty good cog in the wheel. I, I was pretty good at that and I enjoyed it. <laughs> but I think, uh, going through my MBA and, and meeting my co-founder Ken and, Seeing that the, the trend was was so big and it was impacting so many people, and I looked out across the ecosystem and I, I initially said I'm going to go work for a cool company that's solving small business lending, and I spent six months looking for that company, and I found that a lot of the new entrants that are coming into the small business lending space are are kind of predatory. They're charging really high interest rates. Their terms are not very transparent. Uh, a lot of merchant cash advance companies and online lenders that really aren't offering a product that's helping a lot of businesses. And I just saw that there was a, a really big gap in the market and it was a, a, an area where I had a lot of skills and expertise. So uh, for me, it, you know, it wasn't some driving passion to be an entrepreneur, but really the stars aligning uh, around an area of expertise and passion for myself. So that's, you don't hear that very often, um, that I was a pretty good cog in the wheel from someone who now is running their own and operating their own business. Um, so George, when you kind of, when, when you and Ken, Ken is your co-founder, right? That's right. Yeah. So, so when you guys launched this thing, um, was there a model in place that you guys looked at and said, they're doing this and, and, but we can do it better. Or was this something you guys didn't even know existed and decided to do it on your own? Well, you know, I think we were really blessed in that the regulatory environment under which we operate was, was unfolding right around the same time that, that Ken and I had the idea. So uh, we operate under something called regulation crowdfunding, which is part of the Jobs Act. And the rules were being finalized just as Ken and I were realizing that crowdfunding could be a really powerful way uh, to fill this small business lending gap. So, you know, in many ways, we were able to stand on the shoulders of giants. Uh, Kickstarter has built a phenomenal business. Indiegogo, GoFundMe, uh, Kiva, many others have built really powerful crowdfunding businesses that we were able to, to look at and evaluate and build on top of. 
Um, and, you know, there are many great small business lenders as well. So uh, in, in so many ways, we're really able to just take a lot of fantastic ideas that others have already executed on and pull them together in a really unique, fun way uh, that, that really no one else is doing. That's a really good point, because if you think about it, the Kickstarters and, and the different crowdfunding giants or behemoths that you're mentioning have almost branded crowdfunding in a sense so that it's not it's a it's a term that people are very familiar with. So you can tap into some of that brand equity that they've built probably over the last 10 years. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, has Honeycomb grown like has, has the business since you guys launched met the trajectory that you had hoped? You know, I think as a, a young, hungry uh, organization, we're, we're always looking to, to accelerate growth. But we've been really excited with the, the early traction we've got. So we just passed a million dollars moving through the platform. Uh, we have worked with uh, about 40 successful loan campaigns at this point, mostly in Pittsburgh, but now a few in Philadelphia, a few in Cleveland, uh, one in Detroit. Um, so we're, we're really starting to, to hit our stride. Uh, I think we've, we've built the blueprint here in Pittsburgh and, and are now ready to, to, to take the show on the road, if you will, and, and start to scale this up into other geography. I love that. Um, anything that you and Ken, you know, as you look back, it's only been a couple of years, but anything you guys, you know, think about that you would have done differently um, from the start? Um, you know, I think in the very early days, we didn't, fully appreciate the power of the, the, the hyper-local uh, nature of what we're doing. And, and what I mean by that is uh, we're finding that the majority of investors in the small businesses that we're bringing onto the platform are in the surrounding zip codes or the same zip code as, as that business. Uh, we're finding that when a business works with us, they are doing a great job of getting the word out to their community, which is building investor awareness in that community. And so even though we have a nationwide license, I think one of our really interesting findings uh, pretty early on that we, we hadn't predicted was uh, really concentrating on specific geographies, hence the reason that we're, we're so focused on, on Pittsburgh and, and now Philadelphia, uh, it's because uh, it, it's there's a really powerful network effect that comes with working with some of these businesses uh, that will allow us to, to build brand awareness and you know, find investors for the platform and, and also kind of build trust and, and uh, brand recognition with uh, the small business community as well. Sure. Um, I want to, I, I have a couple of the questions I want to ask about Honeycomb Credit and the history and what you guys have done over the last 24 months, but I want to switch gears for a second. Um, and I want to know your your perspective on this. So I find there's a bit of a divide between the word capital, right? So some, you know, business owners and operators see it as a positive thing, like it's a shot of steroids for the business. But conversely, I also get this sense that some perceive it as a negative thing, like you're giving up something in return. So Honeycomb and or the investors, you guys aren't carving out equity in exchange for for the business loan that you're um, that, that you guys are offering, correct? That's correct. The vast majority of the deals we've done are fully amortizing loans that are paid back. Okay. So then to what I was saying that, you know, capital can have a negative or, um, you know, even a business loan can have a negative connotation because you're, you're borrowing something and you have to pay it back and it's hard for, you know, folks to potentially pay that back. What, you know, what are the downside risks that you see that, that maybe folks who 
go into these conversations with banks or, or whomever to take a loan don't recognize? Yeah, well, so I think kind of to, to the the first point you were making around kind of the negative perception, we hear that all the time. And we, we talk to a lot of entrepreneurs who are very proud of bootstrapping their business, and as they should be. Uh, but what I think a lot of people don't fully appreciate is that growing small businesses are, they need more cash than they're putting out. So if a business is on a growth trajectory, then almost by definition, it is a negative cash flow business. You're, you're, you're using more money than you're spending uh, to, to earn more money in the future. And that means that you're either going to have to save up in advance to, to get there uh, and, and you know invest your own personal equity, uh, or if you see an opportunity to grow, you're, you're going to have to find some way to bring in outside capital. And so uh, I, I understand, and I, I think it's absolutely uh, the right way to think about it Any, anytime you're bringing on capital into this whether equity or, or a loan uh, you should pump the brakes and, and think long and hard about it uh, but at the same time uh, recognize that if you've got a good growth opportunity in front of you uh, that capital is going to have to come from somewhere and if you play the waiting game that growth opportunity might might not still be there for you yeah i i Totally believe in that because especially the way the world moves today and how quickly it moves, it's almost that if, if you don't, you know, I hate using that cliche term, but strike when the iron is hot, there might not be iron to strike down the road. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I imagine, and I'm not going to press you for anything specifically because I'm respectful of, you know, your business and, and your clients, but um, be as generic or as specific as you're comfortable with, but are there any cool success stories that have come through over, you know, the past? Are you still there, Corey? I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh no, did our, <laughs> oh, man, our phone call broke up. So George and I were having a hard time, um, getting our microphones to sync up. So we decided to, uh, have this podcast over uh, iPhone speakerphone, um, which seemed to be going pretty well, and uh, we just broke up. So we'll see if George calls back, and we can get him back on the line. We'll try him here. George, are you there? I, I am. Yeah. Man, we are struggling today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I apologize. Not sure. Not sure what happened there. I don't. You don't owe me an apology. That could have been neither of us for sure. Um, so. I don't know where I left off, but the, the question I have, or a couple of the questions I have is, uh, and I don't want to press you for anything specific unless obviously you want to share, but, um, be as generous, you know, generic or generic or general as you want. Um, any cool success stories that have come through the, you know, honeycomb credit doors that, that make you guys smile that you're, you know, you're proud of. Well, I, I think that's the beauty of, of what we do. And that, that's, what, that's what gets me up in the morning. That's why I come to work every day is that we get to work with, inspired and, and inspiring entrepreneurs and our job is to help them tell their growth story with the world. So uh, I, I love all of my babies. I think all, all of the campaigns we've done have been really exciting. Um, we just we just finished our first campaign in, in Philadelphia proper. It's a, a woman-owned uh, kombucha brewery, uh, very young business. Uh, she is just uh, so uh, driven and motivated, and I think she is. And this, she's just on to, to some great things. And uh, the Honeycomb loan was able to unlock a, an additional CDFI loan for her, uh, community development financial institution loan for her. 
and so uh, being able to work with her and, and put her on, on solid foundational uh, economic footing uh, for for her to really um, start to to build her business is, is just so exciting and, and fun to watch. And I'm just I'm really excited to see where her business is going to be in two years and, and to be able to say that, that we played some small part uh, in helping her get there. Uh, that, that's just a ton of fun. I find that awesome. Like you guys have incentive for people to do well. It's not, you know, I don't want to kind of stomp on some of the large banks, but you guys are, it doesn't sound like, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, but it doesn't sound like you're in the loan churning business uh, where you just want to scrape off your, you know, your basis points off the top. Rather, you guys want the people you work with to do really well. That's right. Yeah. Our, our economic model is, is designed as a, uh, we call it success fee. It's basically a closing fee. And that means that we really only get paid uh, if and when small businesses are successfully raising money on our platform. Uh, and so that means that we, we really work with the businesses. We really work with them to make sure that uh, they, they run a successful campaign and they get the story out there and they get some press. And, and ultimately, uh, not only are they raising the capital they need, but they're also using that, that growth moment as a way to get the, the story out to the world. So George, we're all familiar with Shark Tank and I'm trying to think, I, I just, the phrase comes to mind. How much are you guys investing in the person as you are the idea? Like how much that, that has to be a balancing act. Cause it sounds like you guys are working pretty intimately and, and you're not putting people through the algorithm. Like you said, of what are your economics? You know, how can you back the loan? Da, 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 da. Rather, who are you? What are you? What's the plan? You know, how much of that is built into it? You evaluating the person. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think a, a big piece of it is we're, we're looking at the business plan and we're looking at uh, where the business is, is headed and, and trying to make sure that the business has a, a sound head on their shoulders and, and a reasonable path to pay back their investors. Uh, we're looking at past financials. Uh, we are looking at uh, the business owner's financials. Uh, so we're getting a pretty holistic picture. In many ways, we're looking at the same variables that a traditional lender is going to look at. Uh, but we're able to be a little bit more flexible because we also know that the crowdfunding process itself is a de-risking process. Because if you, as a business owner, can go out to the world and, and get your customers and your fans to put their money with their mouth, put, put their money where their mouth is, then that is inherently a de-risking behavior because uh, that, that's a strong signal that they believe in your business and where your business is headed. That's so true. Uh, so we're, yeah. Um, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm just thinking that through. Like that is a, I mean, that's that's a terrific filter almost, if you will, to, to say the industry believes in this or the industry doesn't. Exactly right. And, and what's really cool is after the campaign is completed, we're finding that once your customers are invested in your business, that changes their behavior. They're more likely to come and shop at your store. They're more likely to tell their friends. They're more likely to engage with you on social media. Uh, and so not only is it, is it de-risking up front, if you will, whenever the, whenever the customers are voting with their wallet, it's also de-risking a little bit after the campaign as well, uh, because you now have people literally tied to your own financial success. And, and that means that they not only have an emotional uh, stake in, in your business, but they actually now have a financial stake to really, you know, help make sure that that things are going well for you. Sure. 
George, any stories from SMBs that have that have uh, uh, you know come through the honeycomb, uh, you know, come through your doors and, and gone through the process that you personally kind of knew or or had an idea that this thing is dead in the water and it it just you don't see it. And again, don't you don't have to be specific with names, but there have to be some some that have come through that you just haven't believed in. So yeah, before we put anyone up on on the platform, um, we do have some vetting. We do make sure that uh, they're kind of up to the standards of the platform. That they do have a, a reasonable path to, to repay. Uh, and so we find quite a few businesses that that come to us, and you know maybe their their past financials aren't quite up to snuff. Uh, maybe their their business plan isn't isn't quite there yet. Uh, and whenever possible, we'll try to connect them with the right resources so that they can go out and get that support and, and come back and, and be a viable candidate. Uh, but certainly all the time we see businesses that, that have you know come to us and they're just not quite ready yet. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Any low-hanging fruit items that you as a you know as the founder and, and CEO of um, Honeycomb Credit, but but seeing all the different businesses that have come through the platform, any low-hanging fruit items that entrepreneurs um, make early on, mistakes, common missteps? That's a great question. Kind of think if there kind of any common theme. No, go ahead. No, just it comes back to when you and Ken started the business, or or I'm running my own, uh, you know, my own marketing business, and I imagine there's got to be things that over the years, as as I progress and as you guys have progressed, and you guys have seen so much more than I have in, in the business that I'm in. But there have to be some things that you see that you're that that you would coach someone to avoid or not do. Yeah, you know, one thing that, that comes to mind that we see with so many of our projects is, you know, whether you're moving into a new space or you're, you're buying a food truck or whatever it might be, um, we find that business owners are, are, by definition, business owners have to be a pretty optimistic lot, right? We, we have to just look on the bright side because there's just so many landmines, so many hurdles for us to overcome as business owners. That if we aren't being optimistic about the future, then then you know it's, uh, it it can be really tough psychologically. But that that uh, on the other hand can mean that whatever business owners are, are putting forward projections on on what a project is going to cost, uh, or how quickly the city might come back to approve that license, uh, we can often as a group are often just a little bit too optimistic about how those things are going to go. And so I always encourage businesses, you know, as, as they're thinking about fundraising, take on a little bit more than, than what you planned for, uh, budget a little extra time for the, the city food inspector or whomever uh, it might be to, to come and, and give you final approval, because there's there's always some unexpected turns in there, and, and that process is it's never quite as seamless as, as any entrepreneur would like. Yeah, that's that's a good, I mean, that, that advice probably can go towards any business big or small, but yeah, that's, that's a good tip. George, I find, and I'm interested here. So I find that this, the term, right. Quote unquote, small business is this term that's become synonymous with the idea of, or an image of a person standing in front of main street, USA, a shop of some sort with, you know, a blue apron, they're a baker, a florist, a cobbler in the textiles, something. Right. But that's not true at all. Especially now. I, I feel like that couldn't be farther from the truth 
given the abilities we have with the internet and all the different services that can be done remotely and sold online. So what my question for you is, are there any trends that you guys are seeing um, in the sense of common businesses or industries that are popping up more than others? Well, so, you know, I think here in Pittsburgh and, and obviously where, where you're at in Philadelphia, uh, specialty food, um, clearly restaurants and, and, uh, and breweries are, are, are all the craze right now and are, are blowing up. Uh, but beyond that, I think there is a real movement towards especially food manufacturing. Uh, we worked with a, a Pittsburgh a pickle manufacturer. Uh, we worked with um, uh, an ice cream maker. Uh, we've worked with a lot of folks that are that are taking uh, industries that have previously been dominated by these massive CPG uh, companies and are really carving out a niche for themselves and building a, a really fantastic quality product uh, and, and starting to scale that product up. And with the growth of, of shared kitchens and the distribution networks that are being built uh, around some of these shared kitchens, creating so many opportunities for food entrepreneurs, not, not just traditional restaurateurs, uh, but food entrepreneurs who, who have a really great product uh, to get that product out there and get it on the shelves of, of some pretty large stores. Uh, so that's a trend that we've been following and we've worked with many folks in that industry. And, and I think that's going to continue to, to, to evolve and grow because I think the average consumer is just increasingly concerned about where their, their food is sourced and produced. Uh, and so being able to, to buy something that's more local where you understand the supply chain, uh, I think just gives people a little bit more peace of mind. And, and frankly, it's, it's often a higher quality product. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. And I think of just our behavior, my wife and I and my family on the weekends, right? You think about where you prefer to go and eat and, and find, um, you know, your food and, and whatnot. And generally, it seems like the younger generation, I don't want to necessarily say millennial, but the generation is looking more for the, uh, you know, the local um, eatery than, than maybe your, your typical chain, TGI Fridays, Applebee's, etc. Absolutely. So, George, any in the same vein, any trends that you guys are seeing that you don't like? Um, maybe the, it, it incites a warning flag with you guys when you see someone uh, popping up with a business in a certain industry? You know, I, I, I am an avid uh, microbrewery fan. Uh, I'm just kind of curious how, how far this trend can go. I, 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 I'm not complaining. I, I love uh, hopping into a microbrewery. I love going to a micro distillery. Uh, but it just, uh, kind of curious to see how that industry starts to mature. Uh, we've seen in many of the, the cities where we operate that those communities have been incredibly collaborative and, and uh, really eager to work together to, to build guilds and, and build best practices, uh, in a microbrewing community or a micro distilling community in different markets. Uh, but I think we're, we're probably getting somewhere close to, to uh, saturation. And so I'm really curious to see uh, as we reach that tipping point, uh, how that competitive landscape changes and, and really what that what that looks like five, 10 years from now. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I, I feel like I've wondered that personally just for even the last few years, uh, let alone how much has happened over the, you know since then. Any small business operator, CEO, entrepreneur behaviors, uh, you know, this is, I've asked this slightly earlier, but uh, more specifically that you, that if you could wave a magic wand, you'd rectify 
anything that, that folks do, they make just the same mistake over and over. about the, the over-optimism, which again, is it, it spends mechanism uh, and completely natural. Um, I, I would say just many times when we work with businesses, especially as they're preparing to take on capital, the just the bookkeeping is, is sort of an afterthought. And it uh, when they're preparing their loan package, they come to us and say, oh yeah, you got to get my QuickBooks updated. Uh, and that is really interesting because that means that they're not necessarily managing their business by the numbers. They don't necessarily know the, the unit cost of different products. They don't necessarily understand the financials of the business. Uh, and so uh, I would really encourage that businesses of any size to make sure that they really truly understand those numbers and are managing their business based around those numbers and, and not treat it as some annoying thing you have to do during tax season, but really take advantage of it. Uh, you know, use your bookkeeper and, and use your accountant as, as not just a, a check the box, but as an advisor that helps you make intelligent business decisions. And I want to be respectful of your time. I know you have to get going. So I'm just going to hit you with another question and then um, we'll roll this thing out. Any small business, medium sized business and or credit and loan misconceptions that that you would like to rectify again, if you had this, you know, magic wand. I think one thing that, that we're really seeing is as the community banking industry is retreated, as traditional lenders have really backed away from, from offering the type of capital that, that many, many small businesses need, we've seen this huge influx of merchant cash advance companies, Cabbage and OnDeck and Square Capital. Um, so whether they're merchant cash advances or online lenders, uh, what a lot of folks don't understand is the lending terms and usury laws and, and disclosure requirements in the small business lending space are dramatically different than consumer lending. And so we're often seeing uh, businesses that have merchant cash advances, they took them out because of the convenience of the product, but they really don't understand the terms of those loans. And we, we frequently see loans with over 100% APR. And so I, I think that's one big misconception is just because getting capital is easy doesn't necessarily mean that it's quality capital. And so whenever someone is, is uh, you know, eager to take on an, an online loan or, or emerging cash advance, I would really encourage the business owner to hit pause and, and dig in and read that fine print and truly understand the cost of that capital. Uh, because once you go down that path, it can be really difficult to, to get back out from under you. That's huge. I, I like that. Um, George, quick hit Q&A out the door here. Um, you prefer the woods or the water? Oh, the wood. Any day. <laughs> you live uh, in Pittsburgh. Um, do you have a favorite sports team? Uh, I have to say the Steelers. Okay. Your favorite month? in Chicago for a very long time and I learned that you're not allowed to complain about the weather ever. So I, I no longer discriminate across the season. Um, but you, you know what? I, I love late summer, let's say August. Fair enough. Your least favorite month. Well, I, I, I like I said, I refuse to complain about weather. <laughs> so I, I <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So January. <laughs> 
the hardest part about being a business operator is I think it is finding work-life harmony. Uh, I think as a business owner, there is no such thing as work-life balance. Um, but finding ways to take joy in all of the aspects of running your business uh, and being you know, kind of a happy person uh, and really, truly loving all of, the, all of the many different hats you have to wear as a business. Apple or Samsung? Where is Honeycomb Credit five years from now? Uh, we are going to be a national uh, loan crowdfunding platform. We're going to be serving coast to coast uh, and, and helping small businesses across the country. I love that. I love that you guys, um, you know, you said that early on that you're looking to expand beyond, you know, beyond Pittsburgh, beyond Philly, beyond Pennsylvania. I, I, I think what you guys have and, and are onto is, is a big deal and can make a big impact. Um, last one, you won the lot. If you won the lottery, um, where would we find you? Right here in the honeycomb office. Love it. <laughs> um, all right. On your way out the door, let's get a good commercial in for you guys. What, what would you like to leave the audience with folks uh, who run, operate, starting, uh, or, you know, just have a mature small business? Well, yeah. So if folks are, are looking for a fun alternative way to find capital, I would encourage them to check out honeycombcredit.com and, and reach out and we'd love to have a conversation. Well, George, uh, you know, look, thank you for playing the uh, IT game with me here. And we've, we've figured out a way to make this work. Um, and I appreciate the conversation and I'm a big fan of honeycomb credit and what you guys are doing. And, and you, you in general, you know, sound like, um, and everything that I've read about you, you sound like you guys um, are headed in the right direction. So I'm a big fan. Guys, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode. It would mean the world to us if you would leave a rating wherever you're listening, whether that's Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere where you're consuming this this show, we would appreciate you t leaving some feedback for us. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.